I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Now, a slightly unusual episode today because normally it's me asking people questions, but instead I'm answering them. In a special interview, Luke Jones, who presents Times Radio Weekend Breakfast, Friday to Sunday. He's interviewed all of the weekday presenters on Times Radio, so we thought we'd bring you the interview when he asked me the questions. I think it went all right. I hope you enjoy it. I did always want to be a journalist. From, I mean, definitely from the age of, well, maybe like seven or eight. Seven? Uh, yeah, I remember at primary school doing a newspaper, um, which was... The uh, front page story is about raising money for children in need and they were knocking down a water tower near the school. Classic. Uh, so I definitely remember doing that and I must have been, what, then, I don't know, eight or nine, something like that maybe. Um, and and then it just sort of continued to be that. I don't really know where it came from because there's nobody in my family who's a journalist at all. But were they talking Most about the of... news around the breakfast table? A, li- a little bit. I mean, my, my dad's a plumber. My most of my sort of uh, wider family were farmers of one sort or another, um, but there was a sort of as I was sort of dimly aware, like on budget day, I was aware that we had to have the telly on so we could find out what had happened to the price of booze and fags as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of dimly aware. We used to have, then we used to have the Daily Mirror delivered, and then we switched to the local papers, the Western Daily Press. But there was just something about the. The news in newspapers. I think I also sort of thought I was dimly aware that lots of people who were on the telly had been newspaper journalists at one point. I think Michael Parkinson was one. Yeah. Who I just thought, um, well, he's done all right. You know, <laughs> you get a job on the local paper and then you end up, you know, meeting Billy Connolly on a fortnightly basis. <laughs> so there was definitely there was there was a bit of that, and I think I it just it, for some reason it just sort of suited my. Um, uh, slightly precocious nature. I mean, all of my family will tell you stories about me cutting holes in cardboard boxes and subjecting them to uh, TV um, uh, shows in which I put my head in the box and force them to uh, endure my uh, my makeshift TV broadcast. In fact, I think it was last Christmas or or maybe it was earlier this year. You did it I last having... Christmas? No, 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 no. I, no, 
Not last good. <laughs> yeah, due, due to uh, the uh, limited number of contacts you could have, I entertained the, the family with my... Um, Your own my rendition of BBC Two. <laughs> <laughs> High kicking my way down the stairs like Angela Rippon. Um, no, I was, I, we, had, we had a dinner, I think it was earlier this year, with uh, various family members, and my cousin Penny was giving me grief for this. But, Penny... It's paying my mortgage now, isn't it? Yeah. So all that practice uh, uh, all paid off. Well, I did it all the way through primary school, secondary school, did BA levels, went to sixth form college in Taunton and started a magazine there, which, uh, I mean, we only did about four or five editions and at least one of them got us into enough trouble with the principal that he threatened to ban us from doing it. For doing what? I think we wrote about drugs because that's what, you know, that's what you do when you're 18, isn't it? Yeah. We went around and did a poll and asked people if they'd ever smoked cannabis, and lots of them said they had. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't quite YouGov standards, but no. marginally better than a Twitter poll. I was doing my A levels, and I was quite—I was quite. It's secondary school. I was very academic, got lots of A stars and A's, and so on. Uh, and then at sixth form college, I was slightly less enthusiastic. Applied to go to university. I was going to do politics and uh, politics and philosophy at Warwick, and I got my place. And I was a bit fed up, to be honest, with the idea of. Um, basically reading books and telling people who'd also read the books what was in the books that they already read. That was basically how I came mm. to view academia. Uh, around the same time, I was doing work experience on some local papers, and I applied for a couple of jobs. In fact, both local papers in Taunton offered me jobs. One offered me a staff job, and one offered me just some tra- just some like paid... Um, in fact, it was maternity cover for my now wife, which is a story we'll come to. I just sort of thought I could go to university. I could go to Warwick. Uh, and in three years, I'll be back right here in Taunton wanting exactly this, this job in a newsroom. Yeah. So I deferred for a year and went and did the paid work experience. And, the sort of, and then they said, oh, if you want to, you can stay and we'll train you. And then it sort of, it just went from then. I kept deferred. I think I have now told what. I think Warwick, no, I'm not coming now. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> any minute now. Any minute now. He's going to be here. He's going to be here in a minute uh, in his flares. Yes, yeah, so I ended up doing sort of three years at the Taunton Times. And it was everything. It was a free weekly newspaper. And so you did everything. You did the flower shows. You did the, uh, you know, people turning 100. You went uh, every Friday. We had to go to the police station and write down basically a list of things which had been stolen from people's sheds. You had to go and sit in the magistrates' courts, cover inquests, which were just uh, really difficult. But you had to make sure you got it right. You know, accuracy mm. was really important because if you didn't, a very tearful relative would turn up. In reception, all of that. So that, that taught me a real thing about that connection with your audience, which I, dare I say, people who start out working on national uh, newspapers don't always necessarily have the same regard for the readers. And I did that for about three years before um, joining a comedy sketch group. Oh, yeah. Called uh, Big Day Outs, uh, which I don't need to tell you, uh, were hugely popular um, in the, uh, what, two thousand and three 2004 the other two lived in london so i thought well i should go i should get get to that there london and we will find our fame and fortune in a in a, in a comedy uh, troupe uh, and so i moved to london to work for the press association subbing listings as it turned out oh. uh, they made it sound very glamorous they said you're an arts journalist for the press association working across the guardian and the independent and the sunday times and actually what it involved doing was putting sort of the pms on cinema <laughs> times in the listings and it was the most boring. I started looking for a new job on the first day that I was there. I ended up staying for a year because the comedy thing sort of distracted me and all that was fine. And then they let me go. They let me have a month off to go to Edinburgh to do the Edinburgh Fringe. 
and I repaid their generosity by resigning almost immediately afterwards. Although I stayed with the press association because I saw this job advertised to be a junior person in Westminster in the House of Commons huh. as a junior reporter for the press association. And I went and did. I thought, well, I like. I quite like politics. I didn't really know how you got into politics. So I quite like politics. They wanted someone with regional experience because you'd be doing stories for regional papers. Um, and that was 16 years ago. And I've been working in Westminster ever since. Just explain for me again, just double back, because I, I didn't realise this. Um, your, your now wife, Alison, was working at the Taunton Times as well. Yes, so that's how we met. We were Well, I was going to say we were quite good friends. That's not true. She hated me uh, <laughs> because... She was on maternity leave and lots of people kept saying, oh, you're going to love Matt. He's so funny. He's doing your job ever so well. Uh, <laughs> and of course, of course, you're going to hate that. And she was like, well, he's not doing it as well as I would. So when she came back from maternity leave, we didn't get on brilliantly well to start with. Over time we did. Uh, but it was later when after I'd moved to London that we sort of properly got together. Um, and I had this weird existence for a while. In fact, it was, it was at the height of the MP's expenses, where I was living in London during the week and going back to Taunton at weekends without the luxury of claiming, you know, every yeah. sandwich I ate. You know, we did not have sparkling toilet seats and duck houses uh, in the Chorley household. But it, it did mean I had lots of furious rows with MPs explaining to me how difficult it was um, living in two places. I remember one MP told me that um, I just didn't understand because there were added costs from living in two places, because uh, if they were shopping in their constituency, they couldn't take advantage of buy one, get one free offers because they wouldn't be able to eat the second one before they went back to London. <laughs> so apart from your um, inability to take uh, full advantage of buy one, get one free offers, how was uh, how was the lobby? How was the commons? How was working in Westminster? As you say, if someone who, who hadn't really worked in politics before and was and was interested, and I guess learning loads and realising loads about the people who are there. Yes. I mean, I think it's fair to say, so this was sort of 2005, 2006. I mean, it has changed quite a lot, although probably still not enough. But tipping up there, so what would I have been? Like 23, 24 at that point? Uh, hadn't been to university, never mind a, a sort of minor public school. Um uh, was working for the Press Association and then the Western Morning News, so not, um, you know, not for one of the big nationals. And there was a, uh, there was quite, a, there was the sort of the, the old guard, the grandees, every newspaper sort of had one. They'd been there for donkey's years. Mm. And I remember, in fact, that on my very first day with the Press Association, sitting in the press gallery and seeing Jeremy Brown, who was the MP for Taunton. So I knew him from my time at the Taunton Times. And he uh, he looked up and saw me in the gallery and sort of looked up and gestured to me, completely against the rules, I have to say. Uh, but the, the international sign for, do you want a drink? Should we have a drink? Do you want a drink? Let's go. Should we go for a drink? And um, so we did. We went to the press bar. At that point, the, the press gallery had a bar. The last days of that late night culture, you know, they, they changed a lot of the hours, but some of the people who worked hadn't necessarily changed their ways. You know, there were people who were basically alcoholics yeah. uh, still working in, in Parliament. Um, and, uh, you know, they were used to the late night sittings. We still had a sit down silver service dining room uh, for, for the press. journalists. For the press, yeah. And I remember that night when Jeremy Brown took me to, we went to the press bar and we met a couple of people who he knew because he'd been a press officer. So he knew some journalists. Mm. And, they were just really uninterested in me because I, you know, I wasn't important. I didn't know anything. Um, 
and that sort of sense of, well, we're terribly important because we know all this stuff and you don't, <laughs> you know, why am I talking to you? You're not, you know, you're not a good contact. You're not somebody who's going to give me a job. What is the, um, and so it did, it, it, and for a long time, and I keep, you know, regular listeners to my show will know, I often mention the fact I don't have a degree, but that is still pretty unusual in Westminster. Mm. Uh, and um, it does come with it the sort of, if 80% of people in a building or an industry not only went to university but also went to Oxbridge, they do all have a shared, you know, and I do find all that sort of incestuousness of, you know, when you're one minute you're there, you're slagging someone off to a journalistic colleague and then it turns out they were at school with that person or the university or they're married to them or, or whatever <laughs> it might be. And it's all a bit of a minefield in a way that yeah. nobody's going to come across anyone I went to school with in Westminster. Um, and I just find it all a bit, I find all that a little bit, a little bit odd, although it has changed quite a bit. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But, but did you get more clout when you when you then moved on to being like political editor of, the, of Mail Online and then, of course, you then moved to The Independent on Sunday? Um, having those titles behind you, did that make up for... Clout. You then became somebody who actually, oh, it's worth talking to Matt because, well, what I say will then end up in Mail Online. Yeah, I think so. I mean, actually, the best job I did for that was probably working for the Western Morning News, which is a regional yeah. paper covers Devon Corner or something. But uh, so I was there from 2006 until just after the 2010 election. And because of the run up to that 2010 election, David Cameron, if he had any hope of getting into number 10, had to win loads of seats in our patch because most of our patch was sort of Lib Dem with a smattering mm. of Labour. Most of it was Lib Dem. Uh, and the Tories needed to win. I, it's something like I used to have 25 MPs in my patch and the Tories needed to you know, win 10 of them or 12 of them, I think. 
Um, and in order to have the sort of swing that would get David Cameron's number 10. So the Tories used to come down loads. And I actually got to know David Cameron and George Osborne, uh, loads of them pretty well in that period. And, in, you know, special advisors and all that sort of stuff as well. Uh, and actually, that carried me through quite a long time. Yeah. Even to the point that when I was at Mail Online, you know, I interviewed David Cameron two or three times, I think, in part because Mail Online was a huge, uh, you know, journalistic monster by that mm. point. And, you know, so if you're a politician, you want to be where the public are. But also it's because he knew me and we'd, we'd hung out in Cornwall when no one else was particularly interested in, in what he was doing. <laughs> and so um, actually that that probably did make quite a big difference. Being at Mail Online was... I mean, it was incredibly hard work, completely insane. It taught me how to write <laughs> readable copy at speed. And also then, crucially, see it just rocket to the top uh, mm. of the website. If it was the right sort of story, then people uh, really got into it. And then, so I mean, Mail Online, uh, political of Mail Online, it was the first political of Mail Online. Even that took a bit of a while to persuade people, government departments, that sort of thing, they should tell us what was going on. Um, there, there, there was a... There was a sort of slight of what is this thing, the mail online? Uh, so what was this in like 2012, I think I started there. Um, and sort of built a team and hired other people to, to work alongside me and that sort of thing. And then uh, the Times come along and say, would you like to take your 14-hour-a-day job writing up to 12 stories a day for the world's <laughs> biggest newspaper website? Would you like to come to the Times and write one email a day <laughs> <laughs> reader he was sold <laughs> yeah uh but actually i genuinely had a conversation so the, the times came and said did i want to edit the red box email which mm. I mean, that, up until that point written by phil webster former long-standing political editor at the times yeah and um i genuinely thought this isn't a job what do you mean how that's not a job right in one email a day and then obviously when I started doing it, that became it became clear it was quite a big thing, particularly because you have to get up quite early in the morning. Yeah. If you want to do it properly, you have to spend all day sort of garnering gossip and intrigue and intelligence and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and I started doing that in twenty the January 2016. The first day, Jeremy Corbyn carried out a reshuffle, which went on for about a week, I think. Mm. Uh, David Cameron was in the process of renegotiating Britain's membership of the EU, uh, which went incredibly well. And so I did this this entire period from Brexit uh, all the way through Theresa May's premiership uh, into Boris Johnson's, the start of Boris Johnson's premiership. Um, and it was just incredible. And out of that came not just doing the email, but I was doing the Red Box podcast. I was doing more and more live events. I, a phrase that I used in the email, which is "This is not normal," which started as actually it was about Jeremy Corbyn originally and the anti-Semitism thing that he seemed remarkably unbothered by, and I just had to keep pointing out that the leader of the opposition being accused of an, being anti-Semitic, this is not normal. Uh, but it, it basically came to to cover everything, you know, whether it was Theresa May losing half a dozen ministers in an afternoon, you know, this is not normal, uh, and that spawned a, a stand-up show. Uh, as well, which I took around some of uh, Britain's best uh, regional arts centres. And um... and what was that like to meet? Because I guess people who who, who took the email every morning um, would, I imagine, email you back a bit like, like the radio show now, that there'd be quite a, a useful symbiotic relationship there. What was it like when you then went on tour to then stand on a stage and 
look out on them and look out on the great unwashed and say, oh, these were the people that I was emailing every morning at uh, first thing in the morning. I couldn't see people chortling in their pyjamas of a morning. Yeah. So actually taking essentially the tone and the feel of the email on stage and people laughing. And actually what was quite worrying was people like, I, I learned so much. And I'm thinking, but, but 10 minutes of it was about Paul Nuttall. What are you going to do with that information? Um, I think because my motivation has always been that I think, if we're going to be terribly serious at the moment, Luke, uh, has always been that I think politics is very important and people should know what is going on. And if a bit of humour or whatever makes it slightly more engaging and that's what, you know, it, you know, explaining how politics works in an entertaining way is better than the sort of slightly closed shop using all this weird, you know, Mandarin's Mandarin, Whitehall, gatekeeper nonsense that, you know, people in Westminster use to try and, I think, exclude people. There are some journalists who are into politics in order to further a cause, which is not what I'm doing. I just think that politics is really interesting and important. And the more interesting and engaging you can make that to bring in people who, you know, because we all live in the country, we all have to you know, go whether it's the schools or the hospitals or the COVID restrictions or whatever it might be. People should know what's going on, but it is possible to do that in an entertaining way. And discovering on a stage that hundreds of people would turn up and would be entertained by that mm. was was really, really exciting. In fact, the last stand-up show that I did of that, of the This Is Not Normal Tour, was in January or February 2020. I thought, this is great. We'll go out on tour again with this. <laughs> or, I'll, you know, write another show. This is... Uh, and obviously that's now sort of slightly on hold um, or has been on hold. But I'm now in the process of gearing up for another tour next year called uh, Who is in Charge Here? In terms of audiences, that's people in the flesh. Now that's uh, legal again, as you say, in some of the uh, best art centres around the country and theatres. Um, tell me about starting your radio show during the pandemic um, when you literally had a captive audience. What was that like? Yeah, it was a sort of weird one because I'd, I'd known about Times Radio's gestation for a long time. And without me necessarily being in on it, it turns out that I was penciled in as being part of it from quite early on. You know, the stand-up tour was going well and I was you know doing the email and all that. And along comes Times Radio and that was all going to be very exciting. And then we basically had to launch it <laughs> from spare bedrooms at least in the run-up to it I mean I was quite lucky in that my team were in place quite early so we had a good month or six weeks I think mm. in the run-up so we could sort of bid for lots of people and I think also because I'd known about Times Radio for so long I had a very clear sense of what I wanted the show to be I mean I didn't actually have this phrase at the time but it is now the one that stuck it's politics without the boring bits it's, you know, yes, it is politics, but it's politics you might find interesting or surprising or funny or moving or counterintuitive, where it might be, rather than just a trundle through yeah. what everyone else is doing. So that was definitely that was definitely part of it. But we did a couple of run-throughs. I think we had a couple of full run-throughs before we went on air, but I'd never hosted a live radio show before. So I was quite conscious that I needed to not muck it up. <laughs> Were you scared and, when the light went on? Um, I mean, it would be egotistical of me to say no. I think actually I probably was nervous, actually, because I I was really trying not to babble. So the very first time I did the stand-up, I got through the first sort of 10 minutes almost without taking a breath because I just thought, 
the risk is they don't laugh. So if I don't take a breath, there won't be a point at which they're not laughing. Mm. And therefore, this might be funny um, because they are not not laughing. And so there's definitely that sort of nervousness thing of just, well, just keep on talking, just keep on talking, it'll be fine, I'll just keep on talking. Um, but I, I spent a lot of time, actually, speaking to anyone I could in radio about how the radio works. I read books. David Lloyd is this sort of great, wise old owl of uh, of radio. And I've read a lot. I've read both of his books about basically how do you do the radio. Uh, other people, friends of mine, Chris Mason, I've known for a long time in Westminster from the BBC. He gave me lots of advice. He obviously presents uh, any questions now. Chris Evans from Virgin. Yeah. Um, I went and saw him. Uh, in part, originally to plug Times Radio, but then went, we went back and had a chat with him. You know, in part, I was just thinking, it's Chris Evans. <laughs> it's Chris Evans. Why is he telling? Why is he giving me advice on what to do? Uh, but he was very good. He was, I think, uh, probably his best bit of advice was because at that point, pre-launch, we were, we were sort of saying, "Oh, we're trying to line up these guests and features, and uh, you know, we just need some lots of big names." And he said, "You need to know what you're going to do when you've got nothing, when there aren't any big names." And people aren't tuning in for big names because they don't know that you've got a big name until they tune in. Yeah. What they need to know is when they tune in, what they're going to get. And I think we've done that quite successfully, actually, that there's a tone. I hope so. Anyway, there's a tone to the show where we might have, I don't know, Armando Iannucci on the show. You know, and that's exactly, you know, our audience yeah. love the thick of it. Or we might have, I don't know, former chancellors together or whatever it might be. We've had David Kaplan on the show. You know, that's great. But we might also just have three former journalists picking over something that happened a long time ago. Or when we recreated Prime Minister's Questions from the 1960s. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so it's not about big names, but it's just this sort of sense of getting something you wouldn't get anywhere else. So I did put quite a lot of thought into it. And I don't know that the show has changed a huge amount over the past... 18, 20 months either. I don't think. Maybe I, I think I'm, I'm probably a bit sillier than I was to begin with, but that was because um, it basically became clear quite quickly, which I should have realised is that in radio, what, what the bosses are really interested in is breakfast and then drive. Mm. And if you're if you're on in the morning and you're basically fine, uh, you, you can basically get away with anything. <laughs> and you certainly do. Um, Matt, wonderful to talk to you. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas to you, Luke Jones. It's been an absolute pleasure taking time out of my Christmas day to speak to you live. <laughs> Thank you very much to Luke Jones. You can catch Luke presenting Times Radio Weekend Breakfast Friday to Sunday. Podcast taking a tiny little break now. It'll be back next Tuesday when I'm back on air on uh, Times Radio from 10am. Uh, I hope you've had a good Christmas and New Year and all of that and uh, look forward to spending more time with you in 2022. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.